0: For you. Um, I just want to mention real briefly before we get into our sermon, as we think about our series in New Creation Rhythms, um, Living Like Jesus in Everyday Life, and at the heart of this series is that phrase, in Christ believers are free to live life as God intended. Because when we think about the freedom that we have in Christ, we have freedom spiritually and and obviously free from sin but also free to simply conform to the culture and the world around us and so as we we address these rhythms that god has designed for us uh, it it does bring great rest like we just sang uh, if we're willing to simply uh, submit to christ and to follow after him and with that in mind, we, we really don't have the capacity to, um, t- to talk through every detail and every nuance of, of these rhythms. Uh, the, the scripture speaks so much to these things, um, and, and today we'll be talking about work, and, and that is so much the case, there, there's so much related to, to that, um, uh, but I've heard some people say, well you know, what does the scripture have to say about eating? Well, surprisingly, you will find that there is quite a bit. Um, but for those that would like to, I just want to commend a, a few books uh, related to uh, life as a whole, life rhythms as a whole. Um, and and you can, uh, they'll be up here afterwards if, if you miss some of this. But one is, uh, th- these have all been books that have been super helpful to me. In processing a lot of these things and thinking through these things from a biblical standpoint, but one is called "Crazy Busy" by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, we actually do have a copy of this in the church library here. If you don't know this, through this door here, there's a little library of books that you can check out. Uh, but a merciful short book about a really big problem, "Crazy Busy." Um, another book that. Uh, I will, I will commend for some of its uh, very practical n- help in nature. Um, a- as with anything, we read discerningly. Um, but Andy Stanley wrote a book, When Work and Family Collide. Uh, even the topic that I'm talking about today is a super helpful, uh, practical book on that. Another book, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture, um, Reset is the name of the book by David Murray. I've, I've referenced that in a couple, him in a couple quotes. And then one, Chuck the Wholeheartedness, Busyness, Exhaustion, and Healing the Divided Self. Uh, would just be a few resources. Again, they will be here if, if you didn't catch those and you would like them. But um, I just, I wanted to commend a few books for further reading and study. Uh, because, again, we just don't have the capacity to to get into all of the inner workings of every one of these rhythms of life. With that in mind, let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, if you're using a supplied Bible, uh, we will be on page number 2. 2 and 3, Genesis, the book of beginnings. We're going to spend a little bit of time here we're going to uh, then make our way eventually to Ephesians. But pray for us uh, as a family, um, as we, we head out uh, later this afternoon, whenever, whenever it is we get things together uh, for vacation, uh, we'll be heading to Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, and it, it, interestingly enough, you know, I, I found as in our time of prepping for uh, a time to rest and recreate a, a time of vacation, I found myself focusing on all the work that I had to do in order to to be to feel like comfortable to, to go. Uh, maybe you've been there and you start thinking, man, sometimes there's a vacation, like more hassle than it's worth to make sure everything's all lined up and then some things start to fall through and, and you just say, okay, I'm just going to have to trust, trust the Lord. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with work. I think most of us do, and every week as we, as we come to the sermon, um, you know, when you prepare a sermon, you're, you're first allowing the Lord to, to let the scripture speak to you, uh, but this one in particular, I found myself multiple times saying, how, could I, how can I be preparing a sermon on work? And so here's how we should approach work, and yet at the same time, failing to live out the very things that I'm working through in my own life. Um, That's just, I mean, you might understand that as a parent, as you tell your kids certain things, but over the last couple weeks, this has been something that I've really struggled in. Uh, I've had to confess to the Lord and to Val and the girls that there are many times that, that really I was making work, uh, my, my idol. And we will talk about that uh, a little bit later. And so this is something that, that certainly is not just coming uh, from me as this person that's mastered this and doesn't have an issue in, in how I think about work and how work ties up my life and days at different times, speaking to, to people that need it. I, it's really speaking to myself. Culturally, we... We tend to complain about work. Who's complained about work before? I should see every hand going up, okay? We complain about it, yet we find ourselves working more and more and more. We're a culture that in many ways prides itself on our work. We willingly put in the extra time. We're available whenever needed, and we typically view those things that, that kind of mindset as a virtue. This is a good thing. I'm always on. Because of technology, we've become connected to work 24-7 many times. And I, I understand this is not just an American issue, but when we start looking at the American culture, which is what we live in, realizing that uh, on average Americans put in 47 hours a week in vocational work, Uh, only, I'm just going to give you, you can look at all kinds of statistics all day, and that's not our goal, but one one in five, only one in five employees in America take lunch away from their desk. Worked in corporate world, that is very much the case. Only 54% of vacation time is used any given year half of what's allotted. And when we start to look at even just some of the raw numbers or maybe some of our own experiences, we start to see a culture where work is severely out of balance with the rest of life. You hear these things even in the workplace, a work-life balance. Okay, You hear employers sometimes even talking about that, uh, but maybe it's a lot of just talk and, and then the rest is... The focus on work. And and this is just our vocational jobs. This doesn't account for our housework, our our parental work, our community work, our church work. As we're going to see, work is not just about vocation, but there's all sorts of ways in which God has designed and even called us to work different things in our lives. There are, as we have been seeing, we've looked at worship We'll look at eating and rest, other rhythms God has designed us for. But I think if there's one rhythm in this series that is increasingly becoming the dominant rhythm in an idolatry sort of way, I think it would be this rhythm right here of work. And so this morning, my my aim in looking at this rhythm, I want to provide a concise theological framework again we're we're going from beginning in creation looking at how that rhythm has been broken in the fall and in the sinfulness of man what christ has done uh, in redemption and then ultimately the new creation and so in that framework uh, excuse me a, a concise theological framework here so we can rightfully view the day-to-day work that God has designed for us as individuals. We, look, we will look this morning at both the design of work and the distortion of work, and then we will look at the work of Christ and how we are then able to approach work through a gospel lens. And we're going to be stepping through several verses this morning in Genesis 2 and 3, and then moving into the Gospel of John and then Ephesians. So with all those things in mind, uh, let's look at the fact that we are designed to work. Genesis, uh, jumped ahead of myself, Genesis chapter 1, okay, uh, we we have commonly what is known as the work of creation, okay? Genesis 1 details the first six days, and then you get into chapter 2, and it says, Uh, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And notice what it says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. We, We will see that God's continues to work. He's not not working now. But this work of creation. Our world was created by the work of God. Creation's not an accident. It's not something that evolved over time. God, the Creator, worked in fashioning the heavens and the earth. You think about all the things of, of creation, all the details of our solar system, the plant life, the insects, the animals, the fish the birds, all of these things, we have this wonderful creator who is an artist himself creating and working. Of course, God created men and women in his image. So, we see right at the beginning of scripture, God is a God of work. And in that, he's created us to work. So, we We are created by God then to work. Chapter 1 in verse 26. Again, we're going to be touching on a few verses here. And we've looked at many of these aspects of creation already. Now we're going to view these things with work in mind. Verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion. Here we're talking about work. This is work language. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We are created in God's image. The image of God includes who we are as spiritual beings, emotional beings, relational beings as we looked at in our worship, but also creative and working beings. This is all what it means to be a part of the image of God. You jump down to chapter 2 and verse number 5. Notice what it says. When no bush of the field was yet in the land. This is the the creation account with a little different perspective focusing in on on mankind here. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. So there's no growth, there's no land, uh, uh, sorry, there's no rain, and there was no man to work the ground. So the bush, the plant, the rain are not yet because he had not yet created man at this point in the in the work in the work week of creation. So the earth itself was created in such a way that it needed to be worked. It needed to be cared for. There needed to be someone who would would labor and, and, and do that work as we'll continue to see what our work is in the coming verses. So we are created by God to work. But not only are we created, but then we are equipped by God to work. Jump down to verse number 18 and 19. Then, God, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. We, Pastor Adam was looking at this in, in relation to our need for one another. But then notice what it says. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called every living creature... That was its name. So in in verse number 18, we have for the very first time, God saying something is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. This does point to our design as relational beings, but also it's it's pointing to there needs to be, he says what? There needs to be a helper fit for him. There is a ton packed into this little phrase. God was going to create a helper, that is someone to assist, someone to aid, someone to share in the work that God had called mankind to. But this would be someone who was fit for him. In other words, it was someone that was going to match Adam, a co-partner, a co-laborer, Someone who's similar in nature, compatible physically and intellectually and relationally. So then woman is taken out of man. God forms Eve from the rib of Adam, formed another person in the image of God. And with that in mind, both man and woman individually are created in God's image, but man and woman together express the fullness of the image of God. We are created to work, but not created to work alone, but to work in relationship with one another. We are created to work together, not just as individuals. So in in the design of God for our work, he doesn't just say, it's just you and you alone on this island by yourself, but he actually says, it's not good to be alone. I'm going to create someone else to be a helper and obviously that has multiplied many times over so god has provided helpers for us in our work as we looked at verse number 19 god delegates work here to adam he brings the animals to adam and he's entrusting man to do this work of naming the animals so all the work that man does both here in the garden and in our our day and age today is because God has equipped and enabled us to accomplish this. Humanity doesn't have any capacity to work in and of themselves, only what God gives to us. So we are created by God, we are equipped by God to work, and then we are very explicitly commanded by God to work. Chapter 1 and verse number 28. Here's God's command. After he creates Adam and Eve, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And here's this work language. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves along the earth. From the beginning, God is ordering his creation with mankind at the top. They would be the ones that would rule and subdue and work the ground and care for this world. You get to chapter 2 and verse number 15. And God took man and put him in the garden of Eden. To do what? To work it and keep it. So God creates man and he places him. This is is actually the Hebrew word here uh, for rest. Rest. There's rest that's happening. He places them in the garden to work it and keep it. So so rest and work are not necessarily at odds with each other. In fact, what the indication is here is that in this rest in the garden, there will be work and it will be enjoyable and it will be delighting to Adam and Eve. God says you are here to work it. That is, you are going to be ordering it. You are going to be pruning it. You are going to be cultivating an environment that is flourishing. And at the same time, Adam is then said to keep it. To keep watch over it. To protect it. To preserve the garden. What well, we know in chapter 3, that there is a tempter that would come. God was not unaware of this tempter. Satan, I don't think this command was an accident either that you are, Adam, you are to protect and watch over this garden because there will be a tempter that would come and God gives him this command. The same command applies to us today. Obviously, our world has changed quite a bit. There are no longer two people, but there are billions of people in this world. But we are still called to have dominion and care for and preserve the world that God has placed us in. That command to humanity still continues. Culturally, we are engaged. I'm going to break it down like this as we think about our work, our labor. We are engaged in vocational labor. Whatever it is our vocation that, that God has placed us in, these should be things that benefit and protect society. So we would we would see that some vocations uh, are are not good. They're not causing flourishing in our world. They're not causing uh, protection in our society. It even they may even harm the world in which we live. We're engaged in vocational labor. We're also engaged in life labor. If you live in a house, you have housework. Kids, you have chores. Financial work, if you do any kind of budgeting, okay? Parenting, volunteer work, life work. There's things in life that just need to get done. You're not getting paid for them necessarily. So we have vocational work, we have life work. We have kingdom labor. And, it, and, and I get it, there's a sense in which, and I, and I would argue too, that all of this is kingdom labor, okay? Okay? We're working for the kingdom in all of this. But by that I mean we have family discipleship. We have disciple making, evangelizing, and and making disciples within the church body, within church life. So when we think about our labor, there's always a sense in which we're going to be busy. We're going to be working. Because we're created for this. And as God's representatives... We are designed for work, equipped to work, and commanded to work. So the command to work isn't working against the way that we're designed. It's not like God designed us to do something else and then he says, hey, I want you to do this. God's actually called us and designed us to be people that work. Work was to be a blessing. So what happened? Right? Everybody should have raised their hand when, they said, when I said, have you ever complained about work? Because work's not always a blessing. So what happened? Chapter 3 happened. We want to look at the brokenness of our work. As a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience to God in the garden, God issued a curse, and this curse on the earth is going to have effects on Adam, specifically as it relates to his work. In the brokenness of work, we have a curse that is issued. In chapter 3, in verse number 17, where we understand uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God in eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that they were not supposed to eat. And as a result, in verse, number, verse 17, God says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, Just remember verse 19, we are dust, we are dirt, but we have this curse issued by God and the first thing we want to see about this curse is that it is a painful curse, pain and toil. You will still work the ground, God says to Adam, because this is going to be your source of food, but it's not going to bring the full blessing. It's not going to bring the full enjoyment that it was intended to bring. The ground would now have thorns and thistles and it's going to be hard and the, the earth is going to work against it. Adam and Eve's food would no longer be from the garden provided by God, but would now be from the plants that they would grow from the cursed ground. So the harmony of creation is just broken it's destroyed. And the very thing that was designed to be a blessing is now a curse. In one sense, we might think about it like this. The rest was removed from the work. And now it was painful and toilsome. One author writes, Adam's responsibility to work was not rescinded, but the environment would be different and the conditions would make the work toilsome. This is a painful curse. But also notice that this is a lifetime curse. This doesn't just happen for a a few weeks or a month or a period of years for Adam. But but he says um, in, in verse number 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread Till you return to the ground. Remember the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve that, they, that if they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what would happen? They would surely die. Now they didn't drop over dead in that moment, but here even in the curse that was issued, there is a reminder that this is going to result in death. You will return to the ground and this curse is here to stay for you in your life Adam until you return to this ground the curse is going to last until the day that you die and the ground that God once used to bring life is now going to be their grave this is a lifetime curse for Adam but then it extends to us as well because this is a generational curse notice that this Curse was not on man. It, it was not on Adam. But in verse 17, what does he say? Cursed is the ground because of you. This is a curse on the earth. Verse 19, he says, Out of the ground you were taken. So the curse doesn't stop with Adam, but is going to continue generation after generation after generation because the curse doesn't just die with Adam, but it's a curse on the very grounds from which humanity comes. We are dust. Flip over to chapter 5. We're going to make our way out of the beginning parts of Genesis here. But we talk about generational curse. Chapter 5 and verse number 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he lived a lot longer back then, he fathered a son and called his name Noah. Now notice what it says. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Generations have passed, but this truth, this reality about God's curse on the earth had been passed down generation to generation to generation, and the effects of it were still being felt. So much so that Lamech said, we need relief. Relief is going to come from Noah. And obviously Noah built the ark, but he was not the fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis chapter 3. He was not the Christ who would come. This is a generational curse on the earth, which is why Romans chapter 8 and verses 18 to 22, I believe I have this on the screen. He says, Paul writes, he says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Notice what it says. Verse 19, For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself would be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now." The curse continues in each generation until Jesus returns. So, we've looked at the design for work, that we are designed for it, that our work is broken and and that there's a curse on work, but there's also, I want to bring it to us here today, how that curse has also distorted our work. Look at some of the distortions of work from, from our own lives. First of all, I think, again, this might not encompass all the ways in which we distort work, but I think these will give us a, a pretty broad picture here. First of all, idleness. That is laziness. Because of the toil of work and the, and the, the hardness of it, the, the pain of it, we can tend to simply not want to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to engage in it. Laziness is different than needing rest. We become sluggish, we become slothful, we become the couch potato. Where rest and recreation become ultimate in our lives, because work is hard, we cast it off. One commentary one not really a commentary, one, one book of uh, the author Jeff Ro- Robson writes, to be lazy is to neglect the good works that God has prepared for you to do and to ignore God-given opportunities to serve and bless others and instead to fritter away your time with easy, fruitless, and frivolous tasks. See, idleness, laziness doesn't go well for us because we're designed to work. You you may have experienced that and felt that if you were laid off at any given point during this pandemic. I, I need to be doing something. I need to get back to work. Idleness is a distortion of work. Secondly, sounds same, spelled differently. Idolatry. You can be idle and do nothing. You can make it your Idol. Where it becomes our God, work becomes our satisfaction. It becomes our value. It becomes our provider and our savior. So we start, we start to think: if I don't work frantically enough or long enough, then I'm not going to have. I'm not going to be provided for. Many of us do this, but really, what is it? It's a workaholic. And this is both in our vocational and other work. We're constantly burning the candle at both ends, thinking that that the the be-all, end-all is if I can just get done more, if I can accomplish more, if if I can do more work, I'll feel better about myself. And we easily brush off any warning signs or, or anybody that would speak into our lives. And, and, and I say this because I've done it and I still do it at times. Well, I need to provide for my family or, or somebody's got to do it. And we use it to justify overworking and making work the idol in our lives. In fact, we, we sometimes use God's very own words about laziness against him. But in the end, who are we trusting in? When work becomes our idol, who is it that we're trusting in? We're trusting in self. Like the idols that Israel turned to in the past, we turn to this idol of work. And that idol of work is always calling us to just do a little bit more. Try a little bit harder. What? Me and, me and Adam have talked about this in, in just our own you know, per- personal time together during the week as we've engaged. We, we, work is so deceiving because it's like, well, if I get these things done, then I'll be satisfied. Or then I'll get to this thing over here. But what's the reality? The, those things never get done. The idol of work always fills it in with something else. And just keeps us going and going and going. So work can be an idol. Or we can simply be idle in laziness. Number three in our distortion of works, and, and I don't know if this is a coin thing anywhere. It's the best I could come up with. Uh, one of the distortions of work, I think, is vocational identity. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. Hi, my my name's Dennis, and I am a pastor. Right? That's the first way we identify often to other people. When we meet someone for the first time, what's the first question you ask? Maybe, okay, maybe your name. What do you do? Right? Because vocation is our identity. We easily find our identity in what we do. We find our worth in what we do. We get our value in the title we hold, how far we've climbed. However, our vocation is not our identity. If you're trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins this morning, you are in Christ. Your identity is in Him. You're not defined by your accomplishments. But, but our culture and oftentimes our heart is going to tell us otherwise that we identify ourselves based on the vocation that we have or the amount of work that we accomplish. I'm going to speak into this as we get into how we should approach our work um, after we look at Jesus' work, but number four, fourth way that we, I think we distort work, and it's kind of along the same lines, but I, I separate it, vocational prejudice, vocational prejudice. We hear this, just, just a, okay? Well, I'm just a salesman. Well, I'm just a cashier. Well, I'm just a homemaker. Culture has told us that certain careers or positions are more important and valuable than others. That if if you're not doing this, then, then it's not really that important. It's not really that big of a deal. And we begin to think better or less of others, or sometimes better or less of ourselves, based on the vocation that we have. We have a prejudice towards certain vocations. So the brokenness of work is seen in both the toilsomeness and the pain we experience as we work and the ways in which we distort work, using it as an idol or casting it off and living in laziness. But thankfully, there is a remedy. There's there's a way to recapture the blessing and joy of work. Let's look at Jesus' work. If you're following along, point number three, Jesus' work now, obviously, Jesus, we're told, Matthew chapter 13, and verse 55, Jesus worked as a carpenter. You can study that out further, but Jesus didn't exempt himself from work. We might think, well, this is earthly work. Jesus is the Messiah. He's come to do this spiritual work, which we're going to talk about. But Jesus doesn't exempt himself from work. In fact, he is known as a carpenter. He was, think about Hebrews 4.15, He was in every way, including work, tempted like we are, yet without sin. Jesus was a man of work, seen in the fact that He was a carpenter. But what we want to focus our, our, the bulk of our time in looking at Jesus' work is His work on the cross. Yes, He was a carpenter, but He had a, a more important work That the Father had sent him to do. The word work appears over 25 times in the Gospel of John, and and, and it might serve you well to do a study on this. We're going to highlight some of these these verses. They'll be on the screens here. John chapter 5 and verse number 17. Notice what Jesus says My Father is working until now, and I am working. God the Father finished his work of creation, yes, but he hasn't stopped working because from the beginning he's been working to create a people for for his own glory, calling a people out to himself. He is right now working to bring about a new heavens and new earth. This is happening through the gospel which brings us to the cross of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, yes, he spent the first 30 years of his life growing up, working as a carpenter, But there was a greater work to which he was called to. John chapter 4 and verse 34. Notice what he says. Jesus says this, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, talking about God the Father, and to accomplish his work. So Jesus tells us up front that he wasn't here to work on his terms or for his desires. He was here to work the Father's work that he was sent to do. John chapter 17 and verse number 4, Jesus says this just before his arrest and betrayal, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Calling the disciples out. He has not lost any of them. And then, of course, you go to John chapter 19 and verse number 30, as Jesus hung on the cross, the last phrase that he cried, it is finished. We sing the song living hope it talks about uh the the work is finished right there in the chorus of that song god the father sent god the son to earth to live as a human and jesus did this to perfection never sinned always obeying the law both externally and internally he willingly gave up his life but at times the toil of this work to go to the cross was almost too much to bear. If you remember in the garden, as Jesus is praying, the Bible says it's he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood and said, Father, if, if there's another way that this work could be accomplished, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in the end, he sacrificed himself on the cross. And so it's through Christ's work that God the Father is working salvation in His people. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6. He, God says, He who began a good work in you, there's that word work again, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The you in that verse are those who have turned from their sin and are believing and trusting in Jesus' work that it is enough for salvation. Turn to Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter 1, page number 976. What is this work that Paul is talking about? He who began a good work. What is this good work? What is the work of Christ? What is he working in his people as it relates to salvation? Well, we could spend, I mean, that, that is what the gospel is about, the working out of our salvation. But I want to highlight just a few things that God is working in his people through the cross of Christ, starting here in Ephesians chapter 1. It's a wonderful book to work through. Chapter 1 and verse number 7 of Ephesians, it says, In him we have redemption Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So what is God working? He is working redemption and forgiveness of sins. Chapter 1 and verse number 10. I'm just going to hit several verses and point out what he is working. Verse number 10. As the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He is working unity to bring all things together in Christ. Verse number 11. In Him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. We, he is working to secure our future inheritance as His people. Verse number 18 and 19. What else is He working? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. It's opening our eyes that you may know what is the hope To which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might? He's enlightening us with spiritual eyes and giving us the knowledge and the hope that we have in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 5. I got three more verses here. Chapter 2 and verse number 5, even as we were dead in our trespasses, He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He is making us alive. He is giving us new life. Chapter 2 and verse number 16, he He might reconcile, talking about... He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He is reconciling us to God. And then through the work of Christ, God the Father has begun a new work in us. Chapter 2 and verse 10, we're going to backtrack just a few verses. But we are His, notice what it says, workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good Works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. The fullness of God's work of salvation in our lives has not been fully realized. Salvation is a past, present, and future experience talking about we are justified, declared righteous before God. We are being sanctified, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago, the, the positional and progressive sanctification. And then one day we will be glorified This is all the work of God in our salvation. This is just a small snapshot here in Ephesians of what he is working in his people in their salvation. But it is ultimately the work of Christ here in the gospel that helps us understand how we are to approach our work here on earth. With all of that in mind, let's conclude by looking at, so then, how are we to approach work? Christ is redeeming our work. We, are to, we oftentimes approach work with an I can attitude, but we really need to approach work with a he did attitude. His work informs the way in which we work. And so thinking about the, the, the distortions of work that we talked about earlier, I want to use those same distortions to... to um, To end our time in thinking through how we should approach this. So to idleness, we say this: work is still God's design for our good. We are to fully engage work. So we reject idleness and laziness as sin. We recognize that in God's command to keep and care for the earth, there are multiple facets of work that includes both spiritual and physical labor. Vocation, housework, chores, schoolwork, volunteering, parenting, marriage, worship. All of this part of the work, the labor that God has called us to. We are caring and ordering the earth for the glory of God and then we're calling others to do the same. Tim read for us earlier Colossians chapter 3. It's interesting because it starts off talking about husbands and wives and children and then slaves and then you get to verse 23 which many of us know and, th- and then he says Wh- whatever you do work heartily as to the Lord because life in itself is work both physically and spiritually so to idleness we say work is still God's design for our good to idolatry we say work Is not our Savior. Work is not our Savior. Culture tells us that work is our salvation, that this is how we find meaning, this is how we find purpose in life, it's how we're going to measure ourselves day to day, whether we're successful, whether we're a failure, based on what we do for work or how much we accomplish. But we must understand the place of work in our lives. No amount of work can increase our value before God. No amount of work can deliver us from death. Only the work of Christ can bring value before God, can deliver us from death. Our bodies will return to the dust from which they were created. One day, maybe it's today, I don't know. God numbers our days But in the amount of time we have to live on this earth, like Adam, we will always find that work is hard. It's toilsome. It's laboring. It's never going to fully satisfy. And so, work is not our Savior. The curse is broken, but it's not gone. And the gospel reminds us that there is only one person who can satisfy. There is only one person who can save. One person who provides. It's why Jesus can say in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33, I'm going to give you the, the, the condensed Dennis version here, okay? Um, Jesus says this Don't be anxious about what you eat or drink or put on, like the unbelievers. Your Father knows your needs. Instead, of frantically working for the physical provisions of this world, work for the things that are above. Work for the spiritual kingdom. The call to keep the earth and care for it is both a physical and a spiritual work. It's not either or, it's both and. And with that in mind, it must be said if your work whether it is vocational work, whether it is school work, whether it is some other type of work, a hobby, whatever it may be, if your work takes you away from your worship and your spiritual work, even just mentally where it just pushes all of those things out of our mind, you you need to reconsider your work. If your work is consistently taking you away from the gathering of the body, On Sundays you need to reconsider your work. My goal in saying that is not to step on toes. Maybe a little bit. Um, This is between you and the Lord. But when we get our work out of balance with our worship and our spiritual work we will have severe problems in life and struggles number uh, three as it relates here to our approach to work in regards to vocational identity and prejudice i'm combining these two we then say we have a new identity we have a new identity in christ this frees us from our own pressures our self pressures to prove ourselves Dude, this, this, I'm speaking to myself here. I can prove that, that I can do this. That we would make a name for ourselves, that we, we take it all on ourselves. The hardest two words that, that I've ever had to learn in my life is, is I can't. I still struggle with that. I can't do it all. I can't accomplish it all. I can't take it all on But you can work with a new mindset that your identity is not in the work that you accomplish in this earth physically, but in the work that Christ has accomplished for you. As you live in light of this new identity, that you live in His power, we can enjoy our work to the glory of God. Knowing that our value in standing before God is is not a result of how we perform, but a, a result of what Christ has already done and how He's already performed for us. We are, as Christians, forgiven, redeemed, adopted, loved, enlightened, made alive, reconciled through the work that has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ. And so it's with that backdrop we are then free to work for the glory of God. So that His name would be magnified. We, we are free from the cultural expectations of success and position and work. Notice what Paul says in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Here's this work language here. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Whatever it is God has called you to in this moment of life is highly valuable to him. Remember, you you and I were created to work in relationship. God God didn't give one person all the abilities to do all the work, but he gave multiple people one or, or some abilities to do all the work. So God specifically gifts each of us with certain talents and abilities and skills. Some work takes great mental power. Some takes great physical power. Some some work takes great care and concern and compassion and love. And God's equipped each of us to work. We're not all wired the same way. That's all right. It's the way God's designed. So the role of the trash collector is just as important as the role of the scientist. We shouldn't think less of someone for the vocation that God has placed them in because our value goes much deeper than the job that we have or the level at which we perform our work. I think it's important here to note that that God has given missionaries and elders to, to start and shepherd churches, local churches along the way, all around the world but they are no more special than the person who is not in a ministry position. God does gift and call certain people to vocational ministry, but not everyone's called to vocational ministry. And that is by God's design. So you can serve God and please Him with your life while working in in a call center just as much as you can as being a missionary. And this ultimately goes back to our mission being an every person mission. In conclusion, here, Christ is reshaping our hearts and minds through our abiding in Him, and this is going to shape how we view our work. It will shape whether or not we take that job. It's going to shape our ethics in the workplace. Do I just cut corners to get ahead? Do I let those things slide? It's going to shape our motivation as we get up every day. Why am I going to work? Is it just to get paid? It's going to shape our mission. I'm going to talk here just real briefly about our mission. We, we are on mission as we work. So when we think about our witness in the workplace or in the home or whatever work it is that God has called you to do in the school our, our, our greatest witness, I might argue, is not constantly preaching the gospel over and over, although we look for those opportunities and we need to verbally share the gospel, whether it's on the lunch break, whether it's uh, going out with your coworkers afterwards or having them over to your house or whatever that is, we look for those opportunities. But one of the greatest witnesses for the gospel is working with a gospel mindset to the glory of God in the very work that you're doing. Because sharing the gospel with coworkers is, self de- is self-defeating if we aren't working with a gospel perspective. We can be a hard worker and miss the heart of the gospel in our work. The work of Christ gives us a new set of attitudes and motives that we can approach work not just in complaining like most of our culture does, but in thankfulness, with a good attitude, in submission, with diligence and reliability, in humility. I mean, we could go on and on in, with kindness in the workplace. But ultimately, whatever job, whatever situation we're to find ourselves in in working, we are creating, or we are, I should say like this, we are order, making order out of chaos. This is what God has called us to do as we work. So as we look to the new heavens and the new earth, we are told we are told that death is going to cease, that sorrow and pain will be no more, that the tears are going to stop, but nowhere do we see that work will stop. In fact, we were created to work, and we will work in the new earth. So we might say it like this, imagine all the best things about work. The accomplishment, the satisfaction, the, the creativity, the order. Imagine all of that without all of the bad. The sweat and the toil and the frustration and the tiredness. We are people of work and as Christians we are to labor in this present earth while we labor for the future earth, the full kingdom of God. In Christ, we are equipped and free to once again enjoy many of the blessings of labor and spread the glory of God even in the way in which we work.